One of the most interesting developments over the years has been the growth and evolution of private debt. Though many still equate it with direct lending, that is, loans made to private companies predominantly in the middle market, the fact is private debt is a rich and varied asset class spanning corporates, real estate, and infrastructure, and also spans the risk return spectrum from core direct lending to distressed, opportunistic lending, and specialty finance. And increasingly, private debt is being seen for what it is, a solution for myriad investor objectives. Now, prior to the pandemic, private debt was largely regarded as a bond replacement strategy capable of generating superior yields during the era of low and zero interest rate policies. Fast forward a few years and yields on the 10-year treasury are hovering near 5%. But at the same time, the role that private debt can play in an LP's portfolio has also changed. In addition to being seen as a substitute for fixed income, we're beginning to think of private debt as a diversifier, capable of generating equity-like returns over the long run. Now, all this is to say that building an allocation to private debt is no longer as simple as swapping bonds for loans. It requires careful planning and analysis and data-backed assumptions to build one's assets strategically, as well as to fine-tune one's portfolio in the near term using tactical adjustments. Joining me today to discuss some of the finer points of building a private debt portfolio is Christian Fry, Stepstone's head of risk and a partner in our Zurich office. Christian, welcome back to RPM. Hi, Michael. Uh, thanks for giving me another opportunity to talk about our work here at RPM. Yeah, I think this makes three episodes now. You're our favorite guest, it seems. Might be. I haven't counted them. All right, so Chris, let's tuck in. We're talking about something that you focus on, uh, Strategic Asset Allocation, or SAA. But before we dig any deeper, I want to discuss our recent partnership with GIC. We partnered with them on a paper about private debt portfolio construction. I've received a lot of questions about the genesis of that project, as I'm sure you have as well. Tell us, how did that project come about? So GIC does have an experienced team that's responsible for uh, asset allocation. And so they were working uh, internally on a framework to help them decide how and how much um, they should allocate to, to private debt. Um, they have approached us for contributing in a couple of ways. On the one side, uh, on the taxonomy, so how to think about um, the different components in private debt, the sub-strategies. Um, another input that they were you're looking for is you know, the parameters that go into uh, computing an asset allocation, you know, mostly uh, risk and return, but also the supporting data that we have to you know, support these assumptions. Then last but not least, they were also you know, looking to us to tell them about you know, how current market conditions look and where there might be um, shorter term um, opportunities uh, for portfolios. And then they had, before they went about that project, they were looking at you know, what's available in the literature um, out there and, and they didn't really find a lot. And so they felt like it might be interesting also for other LPs to um, learn and, and that we could share the experience we have uh, with them. For us, on our side, we've been working with a couple of LPs on, on similar projects, but you know that idea of actually putting it down in a paper was really the catalyst to you know sit down, spend the time, and you know put it into a digestible format in, in that paper. Now, we've been talking about asset allocation, SAA, for, for a long time now. I know you and I have worked on a paper in the past 
How does this recent paper different from our earlier work? So the the short answer is in the earlier paper uh, or papers dealt with asset allocation across equity and debt and across all asset classes, while what we're looking at here is um, just a private debt. And by by focusing, you know, just on private debt, you know, we were able to take or we are taking a much more granular view in terms of uh, strategy uh, breakdown. Um, so, for example, you know, we modeled the different segments or market segments of direct lending um, separately. But also we, you know, look at the different uh, specialty finance um, strategies separately. We also you know, use risk metrics and return metrics that are, you know, a bit more applicable to um, specifically private debt. But despite these, you know, differences, we're still discussing, you know, the same core competencies that we consider key for success, successfully implementing a private markets program. So specifically, you know, we express our conviction that, you know, deriving an asset allocation is only, you know, one of the many process steps you know that one needs to master um, to implement a private markets program and, and other steps that we touch are you know doing realistic pacing analyses you know ensuring efficient capital deployment you know having access to good cheapies and then as well you know monitor monitoring and risk management so Christian that's really fascinating and I'd be curious if at some point in the future we take a similar tact and do SAA papers on all of the private markets asset classes um, so going back as far as seven to ten years when discussing the rationale for private debt, and its place in a portfolio. We often discuss that as a replacement strategy. Now that market conditions are significantly different, is that still the case? I think in some way, one can still think of the allocation in terms of a replacement, in the sense that if you add an asset class to an allocation, it replaces or crowds out other allocations. But what's certainly the case is that for most investors, with probably a few exceptions, only a few years, back, private debt was just one of many alternative assets in a portfolio. And as alternative lenders stepped into the void left by banks and the asset class grew and investors got more familiar with private debt and its risk and return characteristics, they started to more and more view um, it as a strategic uh, component of the portfolio. But also, you know, many investors probably associated, as you said, um, private debt mainly with corporate direct uh, lending, but um, private debt really includes uh, you know all collateral types from infrastructure to real estate, um, all the way to specialty finance. And so, as allocations in portfolios grow, and as you know the broad or considering the broad spectrum of collateral types um, that it spans, you know the need for a systematic approach to allocation decisions you know clearly uh, increased. And I think you know that really reached, you know, most of um, LPs by now. So Christian, we're really getting to the heart of the matter here, and that's the portfolio construction. Um, a lot has been written about the demise of the traditional 60-40 portfolio. And in our paper, we offer a case study for how investors might think about supplanting a portion of their traditional portfolio with private debt assets. Can you walk us through that? Yes, sure. Um, we should not forget uh, that ultimately private debt is a fixed income asset um, with credit risk. And so, you know, for many uh, investors, it will be about substituting parts of the fixed income allocation with a private debt um, allocation. The 
discussion about relative attractiveness of debt versus equity is also an interesting one. And it's probably particularly interesting in current times, but that would go you know, beyond the scope of our podcast um, today. But going back to your question about supplanting a portion of the traditional portfolio, um, so to do so, it's obviously you know, not sufficient just to look at an absolute uh, return. As you point out, you know, with treasuries around 5%, um, duration has become attractive for many investors that had not considered it um, attractive up to now. And considering that you know, pri some private debt assets are floating um, and others are or do possess um, duration, you know, one needs to separate um, the duration component of the return from um, the spread component um, of returns. And similarly, you know, risks different uh, across strategies, as you already um, highlighted. And clearly, I mean, the tendency is that higher spreads will come um, with higher uh, risk. And to, so to demonstrate uh, what the benefits of a private debt allocation in a traditional portfolio could be, we uh, prefer to look at two generic uh, cases. And the first generic case is when we demonstrate what the return pickup uh, can be or what return pickup can be achieved if one substitutes part of the fixed income portfolio with a private debt allocation that has the same risk. And in a second case, we then evaluate the reduction of portfolio risk if one substitutes with a private debt portfolio um, of equal return um, expectations. And so the, by this, one has two extreme cases that um, can give some insight as to, you know, how also, you know, comb combinations of the two objectives um, might do. That's really interesting. And again, I'd encourage our listeners to download the paper so that they can see the exact percentages that we estimated in our, in our models. Um, so Chris, when I was flipping through the paper at first, and I, you know, specifically with respect to the risk return diagrams, um, they look like standard risk return diagrams as we know them. But taking a, look, a closer look, I realized that we're not using volatility as the risk measure. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's a, a very good observation. Um, to work with volatilities in, in portfolio construction, one needs time series of you know, time-weighted returns from where volatilities can be uh, computed. And such time series are not available for most of the private debt strategies that we cover. Um, so that's one, one of the reasons. The other reason is that we need a risk measure that, that makes it possible to study the inter integration of private debt allocations into a liquid uh, credit portfolio. That is, it, that is a risk measure that is applicable for traded and non-traded um, assets. And if one takes volatility, um, one faces the challenge that the price discovery process for traded credit and private credit is different. You know, in the case of private debt, you know, valuations are adjusted in anticipation of increased realized losses. Credit, um, so traded credit prices, of course, do the same. Um, however, they tend to react uh, much more strongly to anticipated um, losses, and they do so, you know, much earlier. And so, to 
we have to avoid being caught in the discussion about you know which of these two volatility measures is better um, or how to bring them you know on equal footing we decided to um, settle with a concept that we call stress um, losses as a risk measure and stress losses uh, we define as you know peak losses exceeding you know long-term expected losses or long-term average losses over the period of um, 12 months. And this is a risk measure that can be estimated for uh, credit independently of whether it's traded or not. So this is really interesting to me, and I think it ties back to an earlier point we made about evolution. So as our as asset class has matured and evolved, so too is our thinking about it evolved to the point where now we're developing or using risk measures that we may not have considered at a previous point in time. I mean, it's just right part of the natural natural cycle, the natural occurrence of things. Um, I'm curious about how you know our use of different risk measures than the traditional measure of volatility um, affects the data that that we collect. Um, can you take us behind the scenes to discuss the data that undergird these models? Yeah, sure. Um, so this, I mean, despite the increased appetite by investors for private debt, you know, there's still very little data publicly available and, and specifically asset level uh, data. So for most of the modeling, uh, we rely on data uh, collected by us from our uh, GP relationships. And we collect this data and analyze the data as we conduct due diligence um, on GPs and update um, track records. Um, and over time, so, so by this, over time, uh, the data set uh, has grown to about you know, 20,000 credits with over 100 data points uh, per um, transaction. And so that's the repository we mainly use um, for all these different modeling exercises we are doing. Oh, so two million plus specific points about credit transactions. Um, so, Christian, let's shift from the strategic to the tactical. Uh, our private debt team has been producing a lot of quality research lately, much of which is related to short-term changes in credit markets. Now, as as we well know by now, constructing a portfolio is a long-term endeavor um, with commitments to funds that cannot be adjusted to capitalize on short-run opportunities. Can you talk to us a little bit about how credit investors can position themselves to pounce on near-term opportunities and then how to plan for these opportunities when they're constructing a long-term SAA? Yeah, so I mean, the question about implementing tactical or short-term opportunities is one that many of us you know, get regularly. And our answer you know, typically stresses that it is still important um, of having a strategic plan from where to improvise on, um, because otherwise it might, you know, one might easily um, get lost. And at the end, um, making tactical decisions is all about, you know, relative value um, decisions. Um, and so it's about observing changes in relative uh, value, uh, which then informs um, the investor, you know, on deviations or how to deviate from that long-term plan and shift uh, commitments um, on on the shorter uh, notice from one um, allocation uh, to another. And I'm stressing the relative value because one might 
you know, for example, see spreads widen in one area of the private debt universe and conclude that, well, yes, there is an opportunity. However, if one looked at, you know, the full spectrum of um, the private debt universe, one might realize that, you know, spreads widened, you know, everywhere and that the, you know, the relative increase um, in spreads might be somewhere, uh, somewhere else. And so it's important to um, have a, you know, holistic um, coverage of um, spreads and, and spread changes over, over time. Another aspect that we think is important for capturing shorter term opportunities in credit is that one has, has to have established relationships with GPs that can source these opportunities, but also to have you know, the necessary structures in place that can you know, hold um, securities uh, or investments associated uh, with these opportunities. Because otherwise, if this is not in place, the opportunity might be gone before you know the first investment can even be funded. Christian, thank you again so much for joining me today. Be well and looking forward to seeing you soon. Well, thanks again for giving me the opportunity to talk, talk about um, our research here. Thank you for listening. For more color on today's conversation, head to stepstonegroup.com where you can find a copy of the paper Christian and I discussed along with the rest of our thought leadership library. RPM is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms.